if we are constantly living a life that's just like killing us a little slowly and we feel like there's more, there's got to be more. It's a very effective path to giving that peace back to yourself. You're listening to Let's Be Omnist, the show that celebrates spiritual diversity, one truth and one story at a time. I'm your host, Michael Anthony, the spiritual life coach and intuitive reader from thedivinerlife.com. Happy September, everybody, and welcome to episode three. In today's conversation, I had the chance to sit down and talk with Amy Jindra on the subject of Tantra, which I virtually knew nothing about, and I was really surprised to hear about how profoundly healing the practice of Tantra really is. If you're like me, you probably hear the word Tantra and immediately think of things like sex or Kama Sutra. But, surprise, surprise, it is so much more than that. But I'm not the expert, so I'm just going to let you hear what Amy has to say about the topic. Amy is a powerful Tantra teacher, a sacred sexuality coach, an intuitive author and artist. She is passionate about sharing sacred sexuality and the healing it brings through Tantra. She takes great pride in helping create a world without shame or guilt, especially when it comes to sexuality and our bodies so that everyone can live what she calls a fully expressed and vivid life. Her mission is to build a platform of sexual health and education programs, bring awareness to sexual trauma, and the power of Tantra to heal it. So now, in the spirit of truth and honesty, here's my conversation with Amy Jindra. Just to start off, tell the listeners who you are, what you do, like what's your thing? What's my thing? Um, my name is Amy Jendra. I teach Tantra and I teach sacred sexuality. Um, so what that looks like, I work one-on-one with people in a coaching setting. I teach workshops all over the world. Um, I write, I blog, I guest teach a lot in different communities. I get to be on podcasts like this one. So yeah, and it's really my mission is to understand that our sexuality is sacred and our body is sacred and the energy that we have that helps us to orgasm and create life, um, it can be harnessed for something really good. And I think that if we start to understand ourselves and our bodies and our sexualities and start to approach it in such a compassionate way that it bleeds into all of our lives and we can be compassionate with ourselves. We can be compassionate with other people. We can live a more vivid life. And that's really what drew me to Tantra is it's honest. (laughs) You can't lie. Like it's really just, you're becoming more of who you are and it's undeniable. That is so beautiful. Like, honestly, I think that so many people hear the word sex, no matter if you put the word sacred in front of it and immediately are like shut off or like, I don't want to talk about that or they close down. And then for you to just explain it in this way that there's like, compassion involved and like self-discovery and all these things it just makes me so honestly that's like the reason that the second that it was recommended that I talked to I was like yes absolutely done I want to know all of these things (laughs) it's just so exciting so I heard you say that it's honest and that like you can't lie about it but we are going to play my favorite icebreaker first two truths and a lie uh rules are you're going to tell me two truths and one lie about yourself and I have to guess which one is the lie? And this is going to be super fun. 
because this is our first conversation ever. So I actually know almost nothing about you. (laughs) Uh, I love that. Okay, good. So whenever you're ready. (laughs) Yeah, go ahead. Dive right in. Okay. I was a youth pastor. I am a mountain biker and I'm in a band. Oh man. I want to pick (laughs) all three. I'm going to say your lie is that you're in a band. No, I'm actually in a band. What? What kind of band are you in? <laughs> um, it's an electronic hip hop duo. Okay. <laughs> it's called, click, not it's called not click, click So which one is the lie then? I do not know how to ride a bike. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. So that does mean that you were a youth pastor. When you say youth mm-hmm. pastor, you mean like in a traditional Christian church sense? Yep. Um, so my dad was a minister, my mom was a minister, and they were really strict Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was the rebel of the family, and I became a holy roller, non-denominational Christian pastor. <laughs> I am so okay. I am even more excited now because like my favorite thing to do is just to tell people like, I want to know your story from the very beginning. Like, tell me how one goes from raised as Jehovah's witness to a youth pastor, to a Tantra coach. Absolutely. And it's a good story. I promise. I am Um, all ears. (laughs) So I was raised as Jehovah's witness, um, which of those of you who are not familiar with the religion, it's very strict, very patriarchal. Um, and what that looks like is the man is the head of the family. The women are mild and meek and subservient. And I was just born into this religion a little too loud, a little too wild. And I was always in trouble. I was always, always, always in trouble. And when it came to the religion, um, the men had all the power. So for me, I was so... That bothered me at a really young age. So I was always poking and playing with my brothers and trying to dominate them and being like, no, this is, there's another way. And there ended up being so much struggle for me um, to fit into my family, to find my identity within the religion. I just kept like, felt like I was beating my head against a wall at a very, very young age. And I was so rebellious. Like, women are supposed to wear their hair long and well, it's not necessarily, but in the South where I was, it was more conservative. So I remember I like cut all my hair off and my dad like beat the shit out of me and was like, no, women don't do that. You look like a boy. And I was like, well, does this mean I don't have to knock on people's doors now? Cause that would be great. Wow. Um, and it wasn't that I was bad. I didn't want to be bad. I didn't want to hurt anybody. I just wanted to feel seen and heard. And I wanted to kind of like push the edges and the boundaries. Um, because that was, that's just who I am. And what ended up happening at a really young age, I was 12, um, I was molested by somebody in the church. So I had sexual abuse. And what that looks like whenever you have shame in a religion around sexuality and whenever it's suppressed and in the dark, you internalize that. So not only as a young girl and as a child, I'm getting this message of there's something wrong with me. It's being reinforced by my community. So that shame just has this ripple effect through my body, through my life, through my mind. Um, 
And what that looks like is the abuse lasted for a year. And finally it came out. It was like the secret that I was hiding and holding. And it was something that I was terrified of people knowing about, but it was mine. It was my secret. And whenever it came out, I was actually tried as an adult on a panel with the elders of the church. And they kind of decide if you're guilty or not. And I got in a lot of trouble. Can I ask about, I don't want to interrupt your story because that sounds like something I really need to understand more. So you were 12 and Mm -hmm. I'm first and foremost, let me just acknowledge. I'm so sorry that you experienced that, but you said you were 12, that it happened for about a year. So you're 13 years old. You're Mm -hmm. still in the church. You're still in the Jehovah's witness church, correct? Yeah. And you said you were tried by the elders of the church. Yeah. Like they held their own little court session. Exactly. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I understand we were still at the church <laughs> because words like sure, tried yeah, yeah. and like I know. as an adult, this is, um, talk about church and state. Like I'm so confused. I know. Yeah. Okay. So thank you so, for clarifying that. That's so okay. This Go is ahead. within the church. This is within the church. Um, and it just was, that was the moment that I was like, this is bullshit. Like, I know spirit. I know love. I know God. And this isn't it for me. Like, this and just the, isn't it. And the question was, are you guilty? Is that what I heard you say? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they kind of that look is... at it and are just like, what's her part in this? Like, she shouldn't have been in this situation. Like, there was a lot of cloudiness around it. Um, and it did change my life forever. And it's something that I had to heal within myself to feel safe again, to orgasm, to feel balanced within my sexuality and within myself. But it taught me so much about the way shame feels in our bodies, the way that it's reinforced by the constructs around us and how it keeps us silent, how it keeps us quiet and afraid. And so through that experience, I was like, okay, this isn't it. And I got kicked out of the church and which was fine or out of the religion. And I was, (laughs) I was like, fine, I don't want you either. Um, But at that point I was really young and I was like, man, I don't have the skills to really be out in the world. So I was looking for community and I joined a local church in Texas who it was like a Holy Ghost church and it was charismatic. It was loud. It was just what I wanted. It was like the celebration of life. Mm-hmm. And I became a youth pastor there. I was a missionary. And I started to go to Bible school. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go to Bible college. My dream was to be a missionary and then become a pastor's wife. You know, very Southern Bible Belt thinking. This is not the conversation I expected today. <laughs> I am so lost. Okay. <laughs> this is amazing. I. This is the best. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) It'll come full circle. I promise. Um, So I'm in the church and we're having like amazing miracles happen. And like, we'll pray for things, miracles, like I'll lay hands on people, just miracles. And I'm just like, man, this is amazing. But there was still that undercurrent that a woman wasn't the head that a woman had to be subservient and mild and meek and obedient. And it just, something about it, I was like, it doesn't fit right with me. And I'm looking at the Bible 
and I'm reading it and I'm learning it and I'm studying it. And in Bible college, we learn what's called hermeneutics, which is just a fancy word of the art and science of studying an entire body of work subjectively. So you take away your emotional attachment, you take away your predisposition and your judgments about a body of work, and you look at who wrote it, who they were talking to, and what the trajectory was for this piece. And I began to scientifically look at the Bible, and I was like, "Uh uh-oh, like, I'm not in this. Like, there's no women. It, Mm -hmm. It felt like... I was being cut off again from myself, which sucked because it was like I built this whole life and all my dreams around this book and around this lifestyle where I was like, man, I'm I'm not in this. I don't see myself. I'm not mild. I'm not meek. I'm not obedient. Where am I? <laughs> and on top of that, I have this like raging libido where I can't express myself sexually. I don't have an outlet for my energy, my orientation. So I'm frustrated. And what happened at that time, I this is probably 2007, so a really long time ago. And I started to, in Bible school, they teach you to read other holy books so that you can then turn and find some ground with them and then also convert them to Jesus. And I'm just like, Oh, like something about the Hindu faith really like opened me. Um, and I'm not Hindu. I will say that I have the utmost respect for Buddhist and Hindu religion. I am not Hindu. I'm not Buddhist. And well, I guess Buddhism isn't a religion, but so I'm reading these texts and these contexts and looking at these temples that were dedicated to women And something started to open in me, and it was like, wow, they worshipped women as God or the feminine aspects of God and creation and goddess. And I was like, why don't we have that? Like, what, what is that? Where did that go? And I just started to pull on that thread. And over the years, it wasn't a right... A, a jump right into Tantra and sacred sexuality. It was just kind of following the cookie crumbs of what felt right to me. And as I went along my journey, um, I had all this pain and suffering and all this joy in me. I had so much in me that I just felt that was not expressed. Mm. And I really started to embrace I started to do yoga and I started to do Pilates and meditation and it really started to allow me to express and started to loosen up some of the buildup in me, I guess, Mm -hmm. of that pent up energy. And I was in a bar class, which if you're familiar with pure bar, it's like Pilates and um, ballet. And the science behind it, it's really working your glutes. It's really working your pelvic floor and your pelvic bowl and your abs. So I'm in this class and all of a sudden, like I just start having these waves of orgasm in my body. And I'm just like, this is the best class in the world. Like I have no idea what's happening. This is amazing. And it was just full body. So it's, not just in your genitals, it's like waves of bliss just rolling through my body. And after that class, I was like, can I replicate it? And I couldn't, but I knew that there was something there because I felt 
so connected, so present, so alive and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, there's something there. And of course, when you open to an idea or a newness, it all comes flooding in. And I was introduced to Taoism. And then I started practicing Taoism, which is really about harnessing your sexual energy through your power centers in your body, your chakra centers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started doing like a jade egg practice. And then I just went on this wild journey. Like my life just cracked wide open. I cracked wide open. I couldn't get back in the box. <laughs> Um, and I ended up meeting my Tantra teacher who just introduced me to a practice. So we have these activations, we have these openings and this bliss and these moments of just like ecstasy. Um, but it's really the practice that keeps you integrated and it's the practice, the daily practice that keeps you balanced. Um, so she was teaching me the practice and I was getting different initiations in Tantra And it really changed my life. And for those of you who don't know what Tantra is, um, it's a path. Just about that. (laughs) I can feel it. I'm just kidding. Um, So those of you who don't know what Tantra is, it's a path to enlightenment, just like any other path. Um, What that basically means is you're learning who you are and you're wanting to touch God or something bigger or source. And you're moving along that path to be closer to God or to source or to energy, whatever you want to call it. Um, And we practice because we're answering that question of who am I? And I think that's what we all want to know. We all want to have another piece of ourselves. That's why we buy things. That's why we eat things. That's why we meet people and get on Tinder or Bumble or whatever. We're like, who am I? Um, And it's really about answering that question of who am I? And sexuality is such a piece that's hidden in our culture, in our families, in our education system. Like, what is sex? Like, I don't even—I didn't even know enough about my body um, to understand what was happening when I had these experiences of bliss and of ecstasy and of change. And I really had to go back and educate myself, like sexual education, 101, like how many different kinds of orgasms are there? Like what types are connected to different parts of my brain and different parts of my body? Like what systems does orgasm regulate in my body? What is What am I doing to my nervous system? And basically, Tantra is this philosophy and this path. It's not a religion. There's no doctrine or dogma. Um, it's basically teaching you to take that sexual energy, that life force that creates a baby, that creates pleasure and orgasm, and you harness it and you can move it and you can completely come alive in your body and in your mind. And it's as if you're taking all five of your senses that we normally see in most religions as we're trying to transcend the body and desires are bad and the body is weak and we're trying to transcend it. We're trying to overcome it and constantly beating ourselves down or trying to push it away. And instead, Tantra is like, you start where you are. You start at the foundation, at the body, and you open your senses and then you elevate that. You bring that to God. You bring that to the state of connection and unity. 
And a lot of the practices don't leave sex out of it. It's not just about sex. Like you hear about tantric sex and you're like, oh, it's sex for hours, right? Uh, yes and no. It's part of it, but it's not. It's like a tiny, tiny, tiny little piece of this intricate scientific and mystical system. Um, and it's called the lightning path. So whenever you start to harness this energy and start to learn how to move it, Things happen fast. You start to magnetize things into your life. You open your mind. Your body gets stronger. It changes. Um, You, quote, unquote, manifest very quickly. Um, But part of the practice is to, to become more of who you are. So I've learned, like, yeah, you can manifest anything. You can bring anything into your life. Um, but by the time you get it, like you're probably already changed and it's not that big of a deal. It's actually about the change of who you need to become to hold it. That's more important. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And I'm really glad you clarified that Tantra is not just about sex because when you first explained it, you, you know, said like, oh, it's a path to enlightenment and it's about learning more about yourself. And I didn't hear you say the word sex once. And I was like, I'm so glad you clarified that because if you Google it, there's like mm-hmm. a very, I'm going to, I'm just going to own up to it. If you read the Wikipedia page about Tantra, um, it doesn't, I don't think I read the word sex anywhere. And then yeah. all the articles after that were like 21 ways to extend your, the, the time you have sex or, um, you know, 10 tips to have more pleasure in the bedroom. And I was like, this does not connect at all to me with what I just read on Wikipedia. <laughs> I don't understand yeah. why those two words are like synonymous for some people. <laughs> yeah. And it's, such an interesting perspective. So I got back from India um, for a pilgrimage for myself to really dive into some of the older practices. Um, In March, I went for about a month. And where I was at, not only in my career and in my practice, was I was like, okay, I know that Tantra is this deep system connecting your mind, connecting your body, and connecting your energy. So I understand that. And some of the practices are sexual in nature. You're using your orgasmic energy and harnessing it. But the goals that we have in the West, it's like to orgasm, to connect, to have intimacy, um, to heal. These are all side effects of the practice. It's not why you practice by any means. Um, And just to honor where it comes from has been such a big pull for me. Because when I look at the big scope of things, and I I love sex, don't worry, don't get me wrong, and I love teaching about sex, sacred sexuality and making sure that it's sacred. Um, that's what I teach. But when I like, I've gone on so many podcasts or radio shows or TV shows, and they're just like five tips to tantra, and I was just like, nope, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> that's looking at it in a way that bastardizes the practice. Yeah. And, and I come, I say that with the utmost love and respect for those teaching Tantra and sacred sexuality. Um, but it's also, I know, I know differently and I know better and I know, well, not better, but I know differently. And my approach is they, this has been around for 5,000 years. 
if you look at America, we're a baby country. We're less than 250 years old. And we have this tendency to take an Eastern concept and fit it into our culture and then say, this is ours. This is mine. And with Tantra, you, you can't really do that. And if I were a better business person, I would. I would be like, hey, come like have the most amazing orgasms and attract your dream man and get all the money. Like that would be, of course, I would be very, very wealthy. But I would I would be shit on the inside. I would feel so yeah. bad because that's not why you practice. It's a path. And what I love about this path is it includes the body you get to enjoy all aspects of yourself. And that includes sex. That includes who you are. That includes um, everything that we hide in the shadow, which when it comes to, if you've ever heard the term shadow work, um, it's really working with your subconscious. It's working on the things that we've tucked away and stuffed away. And a lot of it, like trauma and shame and guilt, it's not always from in our brain it's in our tissues it gets stored as a cellular memory in our bodies um so you really have to include the body in the process of this release and what that looks like is you're really starting to flush out your system of all the programming that's not really you and it can be and it's it can be traumatic if not held within a container of practice so some people have these kundalini awakenings and they're like, oh my gosh, I saw the sun and an angel kissed my cheek and a dragon came. And it's like, cool. Like, what are you going to do about it? It's, you got to come back. You got to go to work. You got to, you got to live your life. And I find that the same is kind of with psychedelics. Like sometimes in these ecstatic states that you can get into um, within trauma, your brain naturally releases DMT. Um, which you can take, which um, are in some psychedelic experiences. And not to shit on any experience because they're all different paths. But the point that I like to put is if you don't have a practice to return to, it's impossible to integrate. It's impossible to relate that back to yourself. So say if you do ayahuasca and you saw this jaguar come at you and then you were an old woman and then you drank the river and turned gold or whatever your experience is, right? You said what does that, that mean? Very specific. I'm almost like <laughs> No, I've never done ayahuasca. I've never done ayahuasca. But I I just talk to a lot of people and um you know, and it's the same effect of ayahuasca, some of these tantric experiences. And there are like people who like to call it biohacking. They're like, oh, I'm hacking the system. I'm hacking my brain. I'm hacking my body. Why would you hack anything? I don't want to be hacked. Like, yeah. I don't want to be hacked. And it's so tough on our psychology and on our body. Um, it's already built into the practice. Like, we don't have to hack anything. We just have to devote ourselves to one thing learn how to just discipline ourselves to return to that over and over and over again. And with Tantra, even if, even though it's the path of pleasure and desire, some days you hate it. Sometimes you get irritated by it. Some days you're pissed off. Some days you just don't want to. But then you also have the experiences of love and joy and peace and bliss and ecstasy and all the other greatness. Um, but it's just like any other path where 
you're not always going to feel good. So when I see it sold as a package of like, oh, you're going to feel great, it's giving you more of yourself and a truer version of yourself. If we are constantly reacting out of fear or living a life that's just like killing us a little slowly and we feel like there's more, there's got to be more. It's a very effective path to giving that peace back to yourself. <laughs> so sign me up. Just how do I, how do I join? Be my coach. Let me do all of these things. As you, the more you talk, I'm just like, I need this. This is so beautiful. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. Interrupt. This is a conversation. I am a preacher, so I do have that in my background. But I love it. I I honestly, when I started the podcast, I just want to listen. And I know that like, mm. I keep feeling this need to be like, oh, this is your podcast. Talk, ask questions, be involved. But deep down, I am a listener. Like I love a good story. So honestly, I'm just enjoying, I'm enjoying listening. <laughs> so I'll give you some more feedback about what the practice looks like um, in my scope. So yes, that was, you are I'm, so, you are so good at this. I am sitting here thinking, <laughs> all right, the second we get to a break, I'm going to say, please explain to me what a daily Tantra practice looks like. Because you said in practice, it's not always. And I was like, what is it? What does it look like? So perfect. <laughs> Thank you. Again, I am a Western woman teaching and I have the permission to teach what I teach. I teach a corner of Tantra and I stay in my corner and it's a beautiful corner. I love my corner. It's an effective corner. It is not everything. So um, Tantra is has a few different legs. Um, Sri Vidya is specifically the lineage that I'm a student of and it's made up of Tantra, Yantra, and Mantra. So Mantra is sound. It's the um, repetition of Sanskrit. And it has this beautiful effect on your mind and on your body. It activates your vagus nerve for your mind. It actually starts to cleanse your thoughts. So you can have that moment of meditation where it's like, my mind is just focused on one thing. And it's clear and it's beautiful. And it takes a lot of practice. Um, I don't teach mantra. It's something that is very sacred, very beautiful. I practice it personally. Um, I've been given mantras by my teachers. Um, but if you're working with me, it's very rare that we use mantra. We might use some sound to move your energy. Um, yantra, which is so cool. If you've experienced a yantra, it's a geometric diagram that has a specific imprint of energetics and the mathematics behind it is insane. It's so geometrically aligned with sacred geometry, with architecture, with computer science, with neuroscience. There's so many ripples of intelligence within a yantra and within the whole system of tantra. But Yantra specifically has different archetypes of the gods or the goddesses, and each yantra represents a different piece of that. So, for instance, a yantra for Lakshmi will have intersecting triangles um, within a circle, within a square, and the different lines that intersect with, like, they almost look like flower petals. Um, that's the imprint of Lakshmi, who's the goddess of beauty and of abundance. And I'm all about Lakshmi. When, we are best friends. Yeah. Ah, she's amazing. And whenever you start to look at this figure, this um, geometric figure, 
it starts to change your energy, your pattern. It starts to imprint that within yourself. Um, so Yantra is a really deep and sacred practice. It's beautiful. Um, it's, it's great. I don't teach Yantra either. <laughs> so I moving on to it. On yeah. Yantra really quick. Sure. Just so I make sure I understand yeah. it correctly. So you're saying it's like a visual focus meditation. So you're like just staring at this geometric pattern or it's something that you uh-huh. draw and create or um, it's something you visualize in your mind. I know you said you don't teach it, but um, I'm just. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's both. So um, sometimes you'll just be meditating with a picture or a painting already done. Um, you can do some deep rhythmic breathing and kind of go into a light trance state and start to just exchange energy with your yantra. Um, and then I've had experiences where they draw a giant yantra on the floor and we fill it with the design in with flower petals and with candles and we're either singing or um, praying or chanting mantra during this process and then we dance around it. Um, there's also drawing mantra is our drawing yantra is another form of the meditation. So there's different approaches by different teachers. Okay. Um, it's an amazing experience. If ever there's a teacher that comes to New York, sometimes I'm not sure where you are, but I'm always like, yes, go do this. And people are like, what is that? And I was like, it doesn't matter. Just go. <laughs> um, and then that's just another way that you're working with your mind. You're including your body in that process and you are awakening that part of your energy. Um, okay. the other leg of Tantra and something that I, it's a system that I teach and I practice and it's more of my daily practice is the movement of my sexual energy. So it's not just I'm orgasming all day long. It's that freeness of my energy and it's also healing energy. So through breath work, through concentration, through pelvic floor activation, um, you become aware in your body where you're holding on to tension, to trauma, to emotion, And it's really a practice of keeping yourself clear and open. And so I balance this mind-body energy connection with what's called bhakti. And why I love to balance tantra with bhakti is bhakti is devotion. It's love. It's romance. So it's looking at your practice. It's looking at your partner is looking at the sky or a flower or anything as a version of God. And it just makes you so happy. Like that feeling you get when you fall in love for the first time, it's cultivating that feeling and being like, Oh my gosh, my beloved is here. Oh my gosh. And just, it's a really beautiful sensation of keeping your heart open, of staying in love. And also you become your own soulmate. So whenever lovers come in your life and then they leave, you're not like completely devastated. Yes, it's going to be painful, but you don't lose your sense of connection or your sense of love because it's now in yourself and in your body that love doesn't come from that person. You just shared it with that person, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's really interesting that you said that it's like the practice of seeing like the divine in other things, right? Is that mm-hmm. what I heard? Okay. So it's interesting that you say that because this whole time that you've been talking about this, you mentioned that, um, you know, earlier that Tantra is really about instead of seeking like 
to elevate and move up and get away from where you are. It's about really being present and learning to be in your body. And so that whole time you were saying that, I was like, oh, it's like the practice of instead of seeking the divine elsewhere, you're seeking it within yourself. So I love that now you're also talking about seeing the divine in other things. Because I think that so far what I've learned about Tantra, if I could sum it up in like the smallest thing, is that it's about not like being on this quest to find this great unknown divine. It's really that it's in you. It's in what's around you. It is recognizing divine in everything. Absolutely. And sometimes there's not always a word because it's an Eastern practice. And so it's an experience. A lot of Tantra is an experience. It's an exchange of energy and a transmission. So whenever I'm teaching a workshop and people come in and they're just like, what is this? Well, I went to this teacher and we did this and we did that and we did that. And it's just like, cool, let that all fall away. I'm going to teach you how to feel your body, how to feel your energy. And then if you want to share that energy with someone, you can. Because there's so many different ways to look at Tantra and you can kind of apply it to so many things because it's in everything. It is everything. It's that balance of the feminine and the masculine aspects of every living thing. Um, in the West, we want to connect it to sex. We want to connect it to intimacy and relationship because we're longing for that. Like right. sex sells so much. Like, I want to sell a package. Here's a naked picture of me on a hill. Done. Sold out. Fantastic. Doesn't even Um, matter what you're selling. It's sold. (laughs) Exactly. And, but on the inside, it's like, yes, you're applying it to sex because sex is so visceral and immediate. And it's also so telling. So especially for, for men or women, but especially for women, I've had so many clients who are like, I've never experienced orgasm. And what it turns out to be is you're, you rewat, you cross your wires. You're actually orgasming. It's just, you've shut down your permission or availability to pleasure because there's probably something else you've shut down. So right. with the pain, you lose the pleasure. Um, and so kind of, rewiring yourself to open, to surrender to these experiences um, and understanding it's not just about sex because once you learn to open and surrender, it not only affects your relationships and your sex life, but it's how you move in the world. It's how you express yourself. It's your ability to feel purposeful and happy and joyful and connected and your it affects your money it affects your health there's yeah. so many different ways that this intersects so it's a very holistic approach to life because it's about exactly. mind body spirit it's everything being connected that is so mm-hmm. interesting i um are you familiar with Nadia Bowles Weber Okay. So I think you would only because your background also started in like the Christian church, technically. Um, there's this book by Nadia Bowles Weber. It's called Shameless. If I'm honest, I'm like maybe the first chapter in, but I feel the need to tell you about it. Cause if you listen to her talk about her book, she says 
like, why did you write this book? And she says that her, she asked her boyfriend at the time, why do you think the church hates sex so much? And uh, he said, I think that it's because the church recognizes that sex is its biggest competition. And she was like, oh my gosh, I'm writing a book. And so it's really interesting that you're talking about like crossed wires and like it, it, there's something in the way and you've like lost that permission. Because I think a lot of the time, at least in my experience, if it's even, if it's not sex, if it's just pleasure in general or something that you enjoy or something that brings you pleasure of some kind, a lot of the time people have this shame or guilt that they've been taught. And I think that it's because they, you know, think that they're not going to get to heaven or they're not living life right or they're, you know, whatever the, it may have been. And so the whole time you've been talking, I've just been thinking back to, all right, I guess I got to finish that book because (laughs) saying the same things to me and it's just lining up way too perfectly. And I think I somehow got on a tangent just now, but I really needed to bring it up. No, it was a beautiful tangent that, that makes sense. Like Shane is, it's something that blocks our life force and it can make us sick. And where shame sits in our body is normally in our first three chakras. So our root, which is our family patterns, it's our available uh, ability to feel safe. It's mm-hmm. our foundation. Um, it can be in there. It can be in our second chakra, which is our sexuality. It's our emotions, our creativity, And then on our third chakra, which is our individuation, it's our power to go out and do something in the world and make an impact. Um, When we hold shame in our body, shame is that voice that says, there's something wrong with me. I am wrong. And where guilt is more of, I did something wrong. I can't remember who researched. I think it's Brene Brown. Yeah. Who articulated that so well. Where I love that. Shame is, I am wrong. Guilt is, I did something wrong. And mm-hmm. both of it, when we hold on to it, is when it makes us sick. So shame and guilt, there's really nothing wrong if we know how to release it. Um, whenever we start to receive shame and guilt messages, in our developmental years or through a traumatic experience, Mm -hmm. that's when we start to get sick. That's when we start to shut down. That's when our energy is not flowing. Um, We're unexpressed as who we really are is because we're constantly walking around with this feeling of there's something wrong with me. And which means we're hiding something, which means we're probably numbing out in some way or disconnecting or don't have access to all of us. I agree with all of that. Everything you've said, I think too, something that's coming to mind is like right now, I think in social media, especially a lot of people are kind of calling out light workers as we still call them for being uh, in this space of like love and light and always like up, up, up and opening your intuition. And do you know what I mean? Like they're always in this space of, I guess you could refer to it as like a higher frequency if you really wanted to. Um, and I think that like, there's this push for people to be so in the space of like their heart chakra, their throat, their third eye, their, uh, their crown chakra. So everyone is like trying to maintain that space. And when you said like root chakra, your sacral, your solar plexus, that makes so much sense to me because like people say like, Oh, I'm working on my chakras and everything's great. And I'm really focused on spiritual health, but I think that they focus from the heart up and no one ever Mm -hmm. really takes the time to move that energy down. And I personally, like, I try to explain that to my clients in readings all the time. And they're like, how do I do that? And I say, 
uh, I don't know. No one's ever taught me that. And so I love that you're bringing it up because now I'm going to say, I have someone that you should talk to. Yes, because I honestly, (laughs) I honestly, I work in the first three chakras. I work on that foundation of safety, feeling safe in your body and in the world and in your environment. And of course, in your sexuality and your expression, your creativity, and also that fire, which is our third, like how to create more fire, how to heal ourselves through the fire, how to make an impact on the world. and. That's my realm because whenever I started on this journey, the quote unquote light workers were like, she's a shadow worker. I'm on my third eye. And I was just like, you realize it's all connected. It's all a system. It's not one over the other. And you can't fake it. You can't pretend. Otherwise, you're just completely disconnecting and detaching and you're going to have to come back around again. Um, you're going to find coping mechanisms that are going to create this course within your body and in your mind. Um, I, I sometimes get clients who most of my clients are um, already pretty aware, but some of my clients are just like, oh, I've heard the, my heart's really blocked. I'm in my heart chakra and normally I'm so open and peaceful and I know exactly the events it was in 10th grade, someone broke my heart and now I can't open my heart fully to live my purpose. And Mm. it's just like, okay, that's the story that your mind created because it's safe. But every heart blockage is actually in the root. You got to go back to the root. You got to go back to the foundation of where you don't feel safe still. And that's okay. There's no, there's no shame. It's all a part of you. And I think that even within, I'm not too much in that scene of um, community and workshop hopping and things like yeah. that. I'm but I think I can't tell you the last time I went to a workshop. <laughs> yeah, I. The only reason why I say workshops for my work is because I don't have another word for it. I'm like, let's all get together and like figure stuff out. Yeah. Um, so within that, in in the spiritual communities, I think that it comes toppling down and that's just the natural way of it. I don't think it's sustainable. I think it makes people sick and it also causes a lot of shame within something that's supposed to be liberating. My teacher used to call it the crabs in a bucket. Like whenever you really start on your path and elevate, like if you're in a community that's also not growing with you, they want to pull you back down and be like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Stay with us. Just like crabs in a bucket. You can't get out. And on top of that, my work, um, yes, I work on this esoteric level and it's mystical and it's magical and it's beautiful. Um, but my work is really about reforming sexual education. So I do a lot of work in the community. I work in high schools. I work in junior highs all around New York. I've worked in LA school systems. Um, I can't talk about what I'm birthing right now just because it's too baby right now. I'm still very pregnant with it. Um, So, but it's important to me that whenever we do this spiritual work, whenever we have all this harnessing of energy and of love and of joy and of peace 
and of power. What are we going to do with it? And that's a huge piece within myself. And I advocate for my clients to go out and do something good with it because it not only keeps that cycle fresh and growing and new, um, it's a way to elevate everybody around us. And that's more of the goddess path. That's the feminine path. It's not about like, let me be the talk dog and dominate. Whenever you go down this path, which is the feminine, which is the goddess path, it's about every life that you touch around you will be elevated and shifted. And I think that's a huge component to this work. Um, so with that said, I actually have one other topic that I wanted to ask you about. Now that I know that you started, where you started, Jehovah's Witness, Christianity, all of that fun stuff, that always tends to be a really heavy defined masculine space. Mm-hmm. And now it sounds like it is very deeply rooted in more of the divine feminine side. But do you find that that's true? Or do you find that there's still a very even balance of like divine masculine, divine feminine? Yeah. So my path is the feminine path for sure. It's about liberation of the feminine. It's about a softening and a surrendering. And it's about collaboration. It's definitely the path of the goddess as opposed to the god. Um, the Shakti to the Shiva. And within myself, I have to have both. I have to be balanced within my own masculine and with my own feminine. And I find that people battle within themselves to find that balance. And it's built into the practice. If you surrender to the practice, you will balance yourself out. It's when people start to, and this is in my clients and what I've noticed within community and within people who I've learned with, um, the practice is going to keep you grounded. It's going to balance your masculine and your feminine. It's whenever we become devotees instead of practitioners that we can become imbalanced. Um, it's where we don't have a daily practice, but we have these huge rituals and ecstatic experiences and we go way to one side or the other side. Right. And all we have to do simply is come back to our practice, come back home, come back to ourselves, and it'll work itself out. There's not much we have to do. We just have to show up for it over and over and over. Um, and talking specifically about the masculine and the feminine um, in different traditions, it looks different ways. Um, in Tantra specifically, the feminine is the creation, the masculine is the consciousness, um, and it's balanced within the practice itself. So that structure that's provided within a practice is going to let you be more creative. It's going to let you feel bliss and ecstasy, but it's going to ground you back as well. Um, And there's different practices you can do if ever you feel imbalanced. Um, It's actually scientific. So your glutes, your hamstrings, your quads, these are the largest muscle group in your body. It's our power. It's also where we produce the most testosterone whenever we work out. So if you feel so imbalanced, maybe more in your feminine, you literally just need to produce more testosterone in your body for men and women. And you can do that by squats, heavy lifting, um, having a trainer work out this part of your body to strengthen and fortify that. 
So you have the strength to hold the energy that you're cultivating. That makes sense. That, okay. It's you not outside something? of you. Nothing is yeah. outside of you. <laughs> I'm, I, I apologize for the pause. I'm just like mm. absorbing what you're saying. And I'm like trying so hard to filter through all of the things that I want to say back to you because I'm like, yes, hold on. Wait, I have, oh gosh. Um, and so I feel bad because I keep kind of like really backtracking to something you said minutes ago. No, feel free. Feel free. You said it's not until you become like a devotee of someone or something that you kind of have that potential of really throwing yourself off balance. Thank you for saying that because in my own life, I realized that growing up, because I also grew up in a very charismatic Christian church before I started doing what I do now. And so I was like divine masculine. There's no such thing as a divine feminine. What's a goddess? Like that was my upbringing. And then when I moved over into what I do now, I was like, oh my gosh, only the divine feminine. It's only the goddess. What's the divine masculine? Like I totally, (laughs) and I started focusing on like the Jewish interpretation of like the Holy spirit being the great mother. So like, even what I already knew, I turned into the divine feminine. And then I quickly noticed massive changes in just the way that I go about the world that I felt imbalanced. And I was like, I don't understand. I've switched everything. Like I've moved over. I made the change. Why is it like this? And it wasn't until recently that someone said to me like, well, why all of a sudden do you go so far against the divine masculine that you like protest it? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I, I said, I feel like I still believe in it and it's still a part of my life and I still focus on it and I try to maintain balance. But even though I wouldn't say it out loud, part of me was like, but the, the goddess, like, why wouldn't you be <laughs> to the goddess? You know what I mean? Like, and I was in that mindset and it wasn't until you said that, that I understood all of the imbalances that I've been like trying to fight against of divine masculine, divine feminine within myself. So yeah. yeah. And if there's some pain around the divine masculine, I mean, it really has been so twisted and so I hate the word toxic. I don't have another word for it right now, but just so sickening the way that something is beautiful as the divine masculine, someone who's a warrior, protective, strong, like will hold the energy and ground it has become dominating. It has become this mentality of capitalism. It's become this sickness system of, well, who cares if it hurts other people if I'm making money? Or there's some kind of bottom line as far as like power and money and struggle and dominance when that's actually not the divine masculine. The divine masculine isn't out to control you. The divine masculine wants to hold you. And it's just understand we're all on this journey. I mean, there's aspects where I find myself having an aversion and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to look at that right now, but I probably should. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it's a journey. We like yourself um, are called. It's a calling. Like it's undeniable when the goddess moves in your life and you're just like, wow, I wanted you for so long. I needed you. She's here. I want to share this. And it's a very simple way to understand that the masculine allows it to be safe. So when you're in the feminine and it's chaos and it's vibrance and it's passion and it's ecstasy and bliss and healing and nurturing, 
the masculine keeps it safe and keeps it going. And it's not a punishment and it's not going to stop the fun. It's really um, that part of you that wants to keep you alive and keep you going. So I find that archetypes help so much. So whenever there is an imbalance or something where I'm noticing within myself of like, ooh, I have some judgment, I look at an archetype. So for me, um, an example of that would be Pravati, who traditionally in the Hindu faith and in the tantric goddesses, she is the wife. And I was just like, and she's also the goddess of yoga, yoga, but she's also the goddess of the mundane. And I was like, what? No way. I would never. I want the fire of Kali. I want the beauty of Lakshmi. I want the playfulness and seduction of Lalita. Like, I don't want mundane. I don't want to be a wife. Like, I was so adverse. And when we have that judgment, when we have that fiery reaction, it's actually a place within ourselves. And so I'm able to look at her and go, ooh, I need to work with you because something's going on with me. I don't accept that part of myself. And how I tend to approach a practice with Pravati is very simple. I can do a puja or a ritual. Um, I can pray to her. I can sing to her. I can just dedicate a practice to her and ask her to move in my life. Um, It can be something very simple, but what I've noticed is when you're surrendered and you ask, she always shows up. And that shows up in our physical life as a situation or a person that's going to ask, either crack us open or ask us to choose differently. That is me talking to you right now. That's the exact feeling that I'm having is that I asked for guidance in a certain situation and here you are. So like, thank she you. She always shows up. <laughs> Thank you for listening to that. I cannot even explain to you the avalanche of healing that you've just started in my life. And like, I don't feel like thank you is enough to, to clarify that. Like you have no idea what you have just shifted in my heart. (laughs) I'm so glad that. Thank you. And if you want to follow up with me, when we hop off this call, call me. (laughs) It's happening. We're going to become best friends. I'm telling you, I am going to just be so connected with you. Speaking of connecting with you. Um, if people want to connect with you, learn more about what you do, they're crazy if they don't. Um, but if they do want to connect with you, where can they find you on the internet? So I love Instagram. Instagram doesn't love me right now. I get blocked a lot for some of my content. Um, doing it right. Always in trouble. Um, but my handle is Amy, A-M-Y dot J-I-N-D-R-A. Um, my website is womanandme.com. So it's W-O-M-A-N-A-N-D-M-E.com. And that is also the title of my book. Not to plug it, but I just did. <laughs> I have a book on Amazon. It's called Woman and Me, Becoming the Goddess. And it's a book of poetry about the feminine, about the pain and the love and the struggles and the eroticism, all of it, all of it. So it's a beautiful poetry book. Oh, thank you. Woman and Me. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I love poetry. I love you. And so this just sounds like the best experience that I'm going to have. I am so excited to get it. I will plug your book. Go get a copy. 
right now. Order it. You said it's on Amazon. <laughs> it is on Amazon. So I didn't pay for advertising in case you guys are clued into the Amazon thing. Um, I self-published and it's actually coming out through a publisher in a couple of months. Um, so whenever this podcast lands, it may not be out to print yet. So you can just go to Amazon. Go buy it right now. Right now. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have any other thoughts or um, closing things that you would like to share? I am so honored to do this work and it's such a journey. Um, it's a constant rebirth cycle. And honestly, whenever we start out in these practices and you feel like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm called and I'm pulled and there's something in me that came alive a little or shifted Listen to that, cultivate that, because that's a different part of you than probably what you're, you've exercised or listened to before. And it's a muscle. And that's going to lead you into your genius, your creation, your expression, quote unquote purpose that everybody seems to be driving in. That little voice is where it's at and where it starts. So really start to follow those little crumbs. Mm, that's a word. I appreciate that. I have a feeling that this is not the last time this podcast will be hearing from you. I'm just saying. Amazing. I'd be happy to come back. Good. Cause you're going to, it's decided. Um, well, I am going to let you go. Thank you so much again for not only being here, but also for doing it kind of almost on a whim, very last minute. I appreciate you being so willing and available and thank you again so much too, for all of the healing that you've brought to me. And I'm sure you've also brought to the listeners. Thank you. And we'll talk soon. And there you have it. That was my chat with Amy. If I'm honest, it was more like a healing session than a chat. (laughs) One more quick thank you to Amy for taking the time to talk to me. I am so honored to have her in my life. And I am so thankful that she continues to reach out and be my friend and hold space with me. She is honestly amazing. If you too want to stay connected with Amy, you can find her information in the episode notes. And please make sure that you take a minute to check out Amy's book, Woman and Me, Becoming the Goddess. I've provided a link in the episode notes as well. When you're done with that, you should also go find and follow me wherever you hang out in the social media world. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you can find me at The Diviner Life. If you enjoy this episode, be sure to stick around by clicking that subscribe button wherever you're listening in from so that you can be notified when the new episodes are posted. Be sure to leave me a rating, write me an amazing review because you absolutely love the show. And if you're listening from thedivinerlife.com, you could also leave me episode-specific comments at the bottom of every episode page. If you were moved by today's conversation and you'd like to share that healing with someone else, Take a moment to share Let's Be Omnist with your friends, your family, your milkman, your paperboy, and whoever else you come in contact with today. Thanks again for listening. I love every single one of you. I appreciate you. And until next time, be true, be you, be Omnist. <laughs>